As we're reading Thessalonians, I want to know how. I want to know how this happened because I'm skeptical that it can still do so. These Thessalonians lived in a pagan environment. Everybody around them worshipped all sorts of gods, and they did too. Gods on every corner, many gods in their lives, and they're just going to live in their lives, just kind of pleasing all these gods. But then you've got some Jews among them, and they're living their lives too somehow. And into this kind of setting where everybody's got things settled, they've already settled their religion and their way of life, and they're just kind of living their life in it. And into this scenario comes the gospel preached by Paul and Silas and Timothy. And it challenges both sides. It challenges the Jewish faith, and their way of life and their view of God, it challenges the pagans and their view of the gods. And I look at this and I'm going, the gospel doesn't stand a chance in this setting. There's no way it's going to get a foothold, and yet it does. Paul, even though he was run out of town at Philippi, comes into Thessalonica and he preaches it, and there are people who decide to completely change their lives and embrace this new religion and, and rearrange and reorder their lives in accordance to it. It actually happened. Do you ever wonder how in the world we actually expect the gospel that we believe that we're here on Sunday morning to practice? Do you ever wonder how in the world it will ever get a foothold in the world we live in? Have you looked at the world lately? Sexual immorality everywhere in behavior and in thought. It's the way people talk. It's the way people think. It's the media. It's the entertainment. It's in everything. And so is the greed. And so is materialism and so is our prosperity and so is our it's all about me and how I feel and what I want and into a, a world like that the gospel comes saying put yourself last and God first and give allegiance to him as king do you ever go there ain't no way the gospel stands a chance in our world anybody feel that way sometimes the Thessalonian letter stands as a warning about that because the gospel does stand a chance. There are people who will make room for it. But how does it happen? What can we do about that? I, Paul, for three chapters in this letter, more than half the letter, he spends on play-by-play -play review of what happened when he came to Thessalonica. I, I don't know if you're... A baseball fan or a car or just any sports fan on TV surely you are surely we got some people like this surely in a there's no fans right surely surely and so as you're watching this you're watching a sports and, and you know how it is we want to watch it and then we want them to reshow it we want them to reshow it in slow motion and we want them to zero in on the play at second because we know with our heart that our guy was safe and they, they zero it in and they slow it down. They watch it 1,800 times over the next few trying to figure out this replay. The guy's sliding in. Now look real close, this angle right here. And we slow the whole thing down and watch it dozens of times in slow motion because we want to see this moment. Paul is using slow motion replay to describe for the Thessalonians what happened in their town. And why would he want to do that? You ever wonder... We want to not just see something, we want to understand it. You go to Bush Stadium, if you ever get a chance to go. You go to Bush Stadium, and you're, I'm telling you what you're going to see. There are going to be people, we're, we paid good money for this seat to be here and to see it and witness it ourselves. And we're watching it, and yet they're here with a, an earbud in this ear and an earbud in this ear turned in because they want also to hear the commentator who's 
3,000 foot up in the sky, listen to it too. I want to hear him say what's happening. You're watching it. You're watching it. What do you want to hear him talk about it for? And then you're going to go home and you're going to get on Sports Center. And you're going to watch it again. And you're going to watch it again. And you're going to watch it because I want to see it and I want to understand it. Everything about it. It's cra- I don't, we are so crazy about sports, aren't we? Play by play. I grew up not wanting to play for the Cardinals like everybody else. I wanted to be the radio guy. I have a face for radio. But I also just like that whole describing something like that. And now we're stuck with people like Jim Edmonds who needs to leave his life on the field. And Ricky Horton, who just doesn't need to be behind a microphone. But you got all these people describing it, and we want to hear it described. Paul is going to great lengths for the Thessalonians to describe what happened in their town, what they experienced. And I want you to see it. Paul wants you to see it. Why? What's he want to see the replay for? I think it's interesting how Randy started our service up today. If you've been here very long, some of these old timers, they aren't really old timers, it's not that old a church yet, but surely you've heard how Valley View started. Have you heard the story how Valley View started? Have you seen the picture? Anybody seen the picture of everybody who was there that Sunday? Raise your hand if you were here. Now raise your hand if you've heard the story. Everybody's heard this. Terry's told me the story 18,000. Paul, more than that, David Gibson, time and time again. Why do we want to tell the story? And why do we want to slow it down and say, hey, come here, come here, watch this one scene. Watch it. Go zoom right in. I want you to zoom right in and see. We're not, you'd almost say we're trying to defend ourselves against the umpires. That's what you'd say with a play by play. What Paul's doing, he's not defending himself, though some will say he is. Paul is saying, I want you to know the magic that happened back there, that wonderful miracle that took place at your conversion. There were reasons why it happened, and I want you to recreate them all the time in your own lives. I don't want you to let this moment go by without seeing why what happened happened. And I want you to continue doing the very same things that took place to make it happen in your life. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we've got to look back for a moment. Here's what he's saying. We know you were chosen by God. You were loved by God. He's chosen you. I know it, and you know what Paul says to the Thessalonians. And then he describes how it happened. And I want you to see the four things that happened. He outlines it like we're just, it's kind of like an NFL play-by-play where the guy gets the marker, Troy Aikman gets the marker, and he goes, this guy goes around here, and this guy goes around here. And Paul's doing the same thing. Number one, because, here's how it, it happened this way, because... It came to you, the gospel came to you in words. It was preached. There's a certain message, and y'all, it doesn't need to be messed with. There is a message that saves. It's called the gospel. Don't you mess with it. You need to preach it, but you don't need to change it. It's got the power, right? So it was preached to you in word. That's move number one. Move number two, it was also coming to you. It also came to you in power. You witnessed evidence of it, not just in words, but in power. I don't really know what this was. I'm figuring there were some miracles Paul did that accompanied the message, because so often it did with the apostles, because Jesus gave them this power and authority. Jesus did it that way. He did miracles, and he had a message. They go together. Not one without the other. They go together. The message is accentuated by the miracle. The miracle is given purpose by the message. And that's what happened with Paul. Today we don't have this. But there's other ways this power shows up. It's usually, 
It's usually in seeing the evidence of change in the life of the presenter, maybe. But in this time, in the Word and in the power, step number three came, the Holy Spirit was involved. Now this one I can't diagram either, and if we did the replay of what happened in Thessalonica, you wouldn't be able to see the Holy Spirit either. The Holy Spirit is a, he, he is definitely involved anytime his word is involved, he's there. He's involved in the interaction, he's moving in the scene, but you can't see it, and if I could diagram it, I wouldn't be able to prove anything or circle anything or show you anything, but I'm telling you, when you share the word with someone else, the Holy Spirit's involved. Is that true? Oh, no, 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 no. Is it true? I know we're Church of Christ. We don't major on the Holy Spirit, but the, the, the right answer is amen, so I'm going to ask again, okay? Let me just tell you what the answer is. Amen. So anytime you open the Word and share it with somebody else, the Holy Spirit's involved. All right, right answer. Okay, so that's right. We don't know how that works. We don't need to, but if you remember Lydia... They preached the word to her, and the Lord opened her heart to obey the gospel. Now, that's an interesting thing. The Lord, open, try, he's trying to open the hearts of people, and some people respond, some people don't. But the Lord's involved somehow, so I'm going to leave it right there. Those three things, and those three things right there are really out of your hands. We don't, we don't create the gospel. The gospel created us. We don't change that or alter it or embellish it. We leave it alone. The gospel is what the gospel is. And the God's, God's power that he uses, I don't know, he just does. And, and the Holy Spirit, I, I, I can't explain, he just does. But this fourth one, this fourth one is really important. He says, and with full conviction. Something about conviction motivated the Thessalonians to respond so that God chose them. Now, at first, I thought this is the Thessalonians' conviction. They believed it, and because they believed it, it gave it power to save. But look at the next line. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. It's the conviction of Paul and Silas and Timothy that, that added to the message gave it its compelling power. There's something about the presenter that has something to do with the presented one responding to the gospel, something we do matters, and it's a conviction. Your conviction of the truth is compelling to the hearer of the truth. And I want to get this right for Valley View, the church on the hill. I want us to be people who present the gospel to other people in many different contexts, but it's not just about, i got to make sure i got the words right. No, it's not just that. I want our lives to be a compelling, convicting power in the lives of the people we're around. I want us to be a reason why some people give it a hearing that they wouldn't otherwise hear it. And I certainly don't ever want to be the excuse why they don't. I'm actually responding to a conversation I had with somebody lately because they've not seen it a lot in the lives of people, and that's why they're not convinced. I want us to be a church of the convinced, and it's convinced and evidenced in our lives. Not perfect lives. Don't read perfect lives. None of us will. But do you know why we repent? 
We repent because we too are under the gospel. And when we act out of line with it, we need to bring ourselves back under it. That in itself is a submission and a demonstration of our willingness to conform to it. And that part, our repentance, even our repentance is part of this. Even our repentance. So what was it? What was this conviction property about Paul and Silas and Timothy? And we're going to look at it in, verse, in chapter 2, but let me, just, let me just say this one more time as a, as a way to reinforce this. When you go buy a vehicle, are you just buying a vehicle or are you buying it from a person? Does the person you're buying it from have any bearing whatsoever on the fact of whether you buy it or not? Does it matter what dealer you go to? Levon will tell you yes, because she's driving this Ford that's been more in her mechanic's garage than it's been in hers. It's a Ford. <laughs> no, but let's just, just, just think about this for a second, okay? You go on, uh, you go on uh, one of these side lots, and Bubba Thompson comes out to sell you this Toyota Tundra, and he spits... And he stands up there and he starts saying, this is a wonderful thing. It's got only 325,000 miles on it. You want to see the car? Well, I can dig it up around here somewhere. Are you going to buy from Bubba? Surely not. Now, it's the kind of vehicle you want. You've done the examination of the vehicle, but it's not just a vehicle you're buying. You're buying it from the integrity of a person. You're about to invest a lot of money, and you've got to know that that, and, and part, part of it is who the dude is who's selling it to you. Or what car lot, or what kind of guarantee do you have? People are not buying the gospel or getting the gospel just randomly. They're getting it from a person. And when we are sharing our lives with somebody, they got to know that this life is matching this, and they can trust what you're saying. And, and not only can they trust it, because they can see you have confidence in it. So what makes up this conviction? And that's what chapter 2 is about. It's already been read, so I'm going to refer to it. Number one thing about Paul and Silas is they believed it enough to preach it even when they knew it would not be accepted very readily. They knew a majority of people would not like it. How do they know that? They had just been run out of Philippi. They come out of Philippi and they get to Thessalonica and they're rattled, y'all. Paul was not unmoved by his experiences. He was shaken. He even says it. We were shaken by the fact that that message did not get received by many people. And we come into Thessalonica, and yet, and yet, despite the fact that I just got treated that way because of a gospel I was preaching, and even before I was stoned and left for dead because of the gospel I was preaching, when I got there, I got that gospel out, and I preached it again. Even though I knew it would not be popular. You know what I'm asking our young people to do? Listen, our schools are the absolute biggest mission field in the world. It's the most difficult area, context in which to live the Christian life. And I think of them. They're on football team and they're in the locker room. You know how locker room conversation goes? Do you know how colorful that is? How they talk about the opposite sex? The joking and the crudeness of that? And we're asking our young people to walk in there. And to have a different language and not laugh at the same jokes everybody else. And don't tell the same jokes everybody And don't view the opposite sex like those people view it. Not even in a joking manner. And I'm asking them to live that way. And then when those kids in that, youth, in that, in that locker room, when they ask them, why don't you do that? Why don't you go along with this?
are you so different? I want them to say, there was this God. No, there was this God who gave up heaven and came to earth and lived as a man. He was born in a, as a baby in a manger. And he lived on this fallen earth and he was mistreated. And yet he lived sinlessly. He denied himself and did what God wanted him to. And it got him killed by us. We killed him on a cross and laid him in a tomb. And three days later he rose from the dead. What a stupid story! And it's the truth. And it's the gospel and it's the power to save and you just gathered around that table and you rehearsed the story and we're supposed to tell that story in a world that will mock us. Even Paul himself said it. People are calling this foolishness. Gentiles are calling it crazy. Jews are calling it ridiculous. And that's the gospel we preach anyway. And they're not going to mostly like it. And most people are going to find it weird. And yet, what do you do? I want you to tell it anyway. What kind of person? knows they're going to be mocked and shunned and laughed at, but tells it anyway. I've got to tell you something. If you do that, I know you believe it. I know you believe it. There are people who believe lies. People who believe terrible stories, but you know what? You know what I admire? It's not the story they believe. It's the fact they believe it so much they build their life on it, and they're willing to trust everything in it, and they live their life around you based on this story that I know is not true, but they believe it with such conviction, they almost make me believe it. Can we do that with the gospel? Crazy, isn't it? He already knew what kind of treatment. He says, and we're not going to tell it slant. We're not going to add stuff to it. We're not going to try to flatter you. We are not going to compromise this, nor are we going to oversell it. We're not going to cut out the parts that are offensive. We're not going to cut out those parts that we know people have hard to and we'll just accent this good stuff, this good morality. Let's get the good morality. Let's leave out this weird story about a, a God who comes to earth and lives like this and dies. Let's just, let's just do the morality stuff. No. We're going to tell it. We're going to believe it. And in the telling, and Paul says, you know, I came and I was shaking. But I told it anyway, and you guys know that. And you know why he could do this? Verse 4 and 5 says, because I'm not near as concerned about what people think of this message as I am on what God thinks I do with this message. God commissioned me with this crazy, wonderful, grace-filled story. He commissioned me, and I am so convinced I need to approach him and meet him one day, knowing I was faithful to the story, even if half the world laughs at me. I've got a God to please. Oh, that's compelling. And you know what? That conviction itself, that conviction added to the gospel story, blew up in Thessalonica, and there were some people who left everything and left the gods they served and started worshiping the one living God because of that conviction. I want us to have this, church. It is so easy to preach this gospel and hear an amen on Sunday morning, but it's so hard to preach it at work where you know a majority don't. But that's when you know no, no. That's when they know you believe it. Something powerful about that. But that's not all. He says, I also want you to know you've got to believe it enough to live it full time. 
Not part-time. Not one day a week. Not while you're sitting in a pew. You live it full-time. Holy and blameless and righteous, he said. You know, because he shared his life with them. Paul didn't just go and preach on Sunday mornings and the rest of the week we never, they never saw each other. He worked among the people. He made sure they knew this. And he shared his life with them. And they were able to see him in different contexts with different challenges, with different, different things that came up. And they were able to see the gospel in his life. Once the gospel closes, once you close the Bible with somebody, your life is still open. Once you're done with a story in print, now it becomes in person. From in print to in person. And you, and you don't make a dichotomy. You say, hey, let it do what I say, not what I do. No, no, no. The whole life is an open book. That's what we're supposed to be. They can come here and hear the gospel on Sundays. Anybody can. But I want Valley View to still be preaching on Tuesday through your life. Through your life. I'll know you believe it when I see you live it. It is unarguable, guys. A holy life, well lived in front of people, is an inarguable witness to the power of that gospel. The first person we're preaching to, even today, is ourselves. Believe it. Believe it so much you'll preach it, but believe it so much that you live it. You live it from here on out. It's all the time. Great example of this for him was his work ethic. He said, you know what? We could have been there and it charged for preaching the gospel. Preachers do that, right? Preachers get paid when they go places. And Paul's like, you know what? I know in the, in the first century world, there were philosophers and there were religious people who went around and preached. And the better they could do this oratorically and the better they made people feel, the more money they got for it. Paul says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you off the hook. You don't owe me a thing. I don't want to get a... In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work all night making tents so I can preach the next morning and not worry about where that money came from. I can buy my food in the morning, but not from money you gave me. I'm going to make sure that there's not one thing between me and you receiving the gospel. I'm, I'm going to let the flow of the gospel continue from my message to my manhood, right? It's all going to be flowing right there. That's an amazing confidence and most of us are like man i don't want people seeing my whole life we should we should be willing to be an open book that's the whole nature of this gospel thing it changes our lives and disrupts things and we give our allegiance to him and the image he uses is a mother feeding a baby her own baby and so the idea of the mother feeding a baby here's the here's what i think he's getting at with this image the mother rearranges her life because of the breastfeeding what you eat affects the milk of the baby, which means you might have to rearrange your diet for the sake of this child. Not only that, but at least in the ancient world where they didn't have pumps and stuff, what these people would have to do is they could never get far from baby because baby needs to feed every once in a while, so I need to be available. Her entire life for the sake of this child was rearranged. And Paul says, I rearrange my entire life to make myself available for you to see and to be nurtured from. Not just Sundays, all the time. And do you know why? He says, because just like that mother, I love you. I love people enough that I want my entire life to be a convicting, compelling influence. But there's one last one. 
Well, first let me say this. Randy Carlton was teaching. The worst thing you can ever experience is having a preacher in your Bible class when you're teaching. It's just, especially when it's an elder, because I just love to rag elders when they're. So here he is teaching the junior high a couple weeks ago, and he says, I don't want a Valley View bumper sticker on my car. I don't want any bumper sticker on my car. Gary Buck has them all that I know of, so I don't, I don't need any more. But he was saying, I don't want a Valley View bumper sticker, VVYC, because if I. If, because anything I do out of that car reflect. I mean, uh, that's what they'll start thinking. That, that, that church right there, that guy's just like him. And of course, the smart aleck preacher has to say, but you're an elder. It doesn't matter if you got the bumper sticker or not. And that's not just true of the elders, that's true of all of us. We're wearing the name of Christ. You, ref- you are an ambassador 24 hours a day. So we go to Batesville at this youth rally. You know, sometimes Valley View Youth Group gets a little bit, I don't know what's the word, wild, nuts, thrown out of this park and thrown out of this hotel. I mean, we're just kind of known as like, I, you, you don't know. You don't know, what, well, you don't know what you're getting. VVYG is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, right? So we're going to this hotel in Batesville. We've got 30 pe- 38 people. They're in rooms that have rooms above them, below them, and on each side of them. I started thinking, how can we pray for the people in those rooms? How can, how can we put them in? So Paul gets them aside in the lobby and says, guys, you know what you need to do. Most of you are Christians. Many of you are. But he says to them, what you do reflects on this church. What you do reflects on God and reflects on your family. Here's what we're going to do. You go into your rooms, and you stay in those rooms, and you don't be a negative effect on anybody around you because we're being light even as we're in this room. And you know how many problems we had? Zero. They were perfect little angels. I don't expect that to happen every time. But it should be what we're about, isn't it? That's what Paul is saying. You never get time off, and even if you're going to a cruise or a vacation, even there, and have you ever noticed when you're on vacation, you always run into somebody from northeast Arkansas. It is unreal. Last one. You believe it enough to help others live it too. Paul said, you know what, it's not just about whether I'm reflecting my salvation and whether I'm sharing the gospel. It's I want you. And he, he uses the image of a father, and I love First Thessalonians because more than any other letter in the New Testament he keeps saying brothers and sisters 19 times brothers and sisters brothers and sisters and he says I'm like a mother to you I'm like a father to you do you know why he had to do this these people left their life behind their support network of their families and their other religions that they're leaving are now gone what are they going to do they've got to create their own community their own body and so they've got to be brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers to each other the gospel's supposed to do that right the gospel's supposed to do that And he says, and I'm like a father to you. In the ancient world, the mothers were the nurturing, loving ones. The father was supposed to be the instruction one to really urge and encourage, even harshly sometimes. I I just got to charge you to live this life right. That's why Ephesians chapter 4, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Bring them up the nurture and instruction of the Lord. That's your job, dads. And that's what he says in 
first century. And so he says, I'm like a father. I want to help you. I'm, I'm looking at your life and I'm saying, hey, no, 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 look at this. And, and then I'm going to urge you, yeah, they do this. And I'm going to comfort you in the ways that I can. I, I think he's in contrast to the Pharisees. Listen to Matthew 25. Here's what the Pharisees did. They bind up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You have any idea what he means? The Pharisees were like a bad eldership, sitting in a little room, not even thinking about the people who live here, not even thinking about the sheep that they're over, and all they do is pass all these rules to burden them a little more. I want to burden them a little more. I want to make sure they don't get out of line. So I give them all these rules, and I give them a bunch of rules, and you don't consider the perspectives and the situations that are in your assembly. So here was a Pharisee going, you know what? We're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. So how far can you walk on the Sabbath day before you are working? Well, let's make it 100 yards. Well, in that assembly, that synagogue where they're over them, there's this lady who's taking care of a newborn, but her father, a mile away in another village, small village outskirts of town, is really decrepit. He's really disabled, has a little memory issue, but he can live enough on his own. But she needs a check on him every day. What's that lady supposed to do, Mr. Pharisee? What's she supposed to do? Leave him for a whole day to keep your tradition? Before you pass that tradition, you look at who's in your assembly. What's it going to do to them? How can you help them? It's not just about passing rules to make them holy. It's about helping them live a holy life. Don't you dare pass that tradition. It's going to hurt that man, and it's going to hurt that woman, and she's not going to be able to keep commandment number five. This thing we do of Christianity is not just a bunch of rules to hold over your life and to keep you in check. There are people with marriages in trouble, and when they come to an eldership, they don't need to just have us remind us of these verses that say, you've got to stay in this relationship until you die. There's more to it than that. Share life. I want you to have a flourishing life. I want you to be able to apply the gospel to everything here and help you live. And when there's a struggle, let's help you. Don't just read these verses and then you decide for yourself. Listen, we need to help each other. We need to love each other and be involved. And there are people struggling with their finances. And you say, well, make sure you love God more than money. They're struggling. They don't know what that means. They've never been taught that. They need, uh, they need someone to come into their life and say, tell me how I can put God first in my finances. Don't just preach me general sermons where you lob hand grenades of truth to me. Help me to figure this out. Paul said, I worked night and day, and I opened up my life to you, and I was like a father. You brought me stuff, and we worked through them. That conviction of Paul He's going to preach no matter what. He's going to live it no matter what. And he's going to help them no matter what. When you add those things together in Thessalonica, he says it was an explosion. That, combined with the gospel that you preached, is what caused them to believe and turn away from all their idols and turn to the one living God who's got a community of people who loves each other. That's how you change the world. So listen, here's the neat thing. We've got the gospel. We don't, have to, we don't have to create it. 
We don't have to do anything with it except preach it and defend it and make sure it's there for our people. Proclaim it, make sure that's what we preach and what we teach in our Bible classes. And so we got that covered. We got the power of God. I don't know, he's mysteriously working in our lives and it's visible for people to see. And then the Holy Spirit is definitely working. The question is, are we gonna be a people who have this kind of conviction? I want the church on the hill to be a bunch of people that have this conviction that people can see and it compels them. And that gospel just takes off because not only is it true and backed by the Holy Spirit and is the message and saving power of God about a Savior who died for people, but it's followed by a group of people who are willing to completely reorient their lives in accordance with it. And that together is an explosion that rocks a community. And that's the kingdom of God that God wants to bring in the world. May that be us. If you've never responded to the gospel, I hope you will. I hope it might be today. If you have responded to the gospel and for whatever reason, you're kind of not letting it filter, infiltrate your entire life, reorder your life a little more. And if there's anyone who needs to respond in any way to make things right, because publicly maybe you've done something that has brought shame on the church or shame on the truth, and you're going to get that out in the open if you need to do that. But if you don't, just do it in the privacy of where you are. Let's have a conviction that we can add to the gospel, to the power of God, and to the Holy Spirit and change this world. If you need to respond this morning, make it known as we stand, as we sing together.